Hello and welcome to the 20th episode now of the Formula E Zone podcast with your host Jack George Maynard. We've been treated to another great race in Marrakesh where we saw the streak of five different winners from the first five races of the season continue and nine in nine if you go back to last season. Unfortunately, no Tobias for this one. Exam revision and work at E-Formula D means he probably won't be back until around the end of the season. But luckily today, we have a great guest to talk to you all things Marrakesh Ypres from the Formula E Zone news desk himself. It's William Dodds. Hi, Jack. How are you? Yeah, man. Not too well. Uh, not too bad, actually. Not too well. I mean, it sounds like I'm ill. Well, to be fair, what's going on in the earth at the moment, you know, who knows if who knows if you're well or if you're ill at the moment. So, um, but no, thank you so much for coming on. No, it's a pleasure to be here. Excellent. So Marrakesh, it was an absolutely, it wasn't, I don't know if it was a stunning race. I was about to say it was an absolute stunning race. And I, I, I've mentioned this many times on the podcast that every race is like so absorbing. I think it was a good race, probably not the most thrilling that we've had. I think as it being like a normal circuit in a sense, it was sort of, it sort of followed procedure of actual a normal motor race. Yeah, it was, it was actually strange to kind of, you got to the end of the race until Sims had his, um, issue right at the end and to actually look at a Formula E race and have all 24 drivers still on the circuit was actually a bit strange um, but yeah I think as yeah. you said it wasn't it was it's kind of the difference you know how people like their motorsport I guess it's like some people for example taking a Formula 1 example would prefer that kind of Hockenheim just complete madness people spinning off all over the place or some people prefer kind of something like Silverstone where it's more about the racing and the wheel to wheel action I think this was a bit more for kind of like a purist who who just wanted to see the best drivers going up against each other, and and I think that's 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 what this was, and I re- I really enjoyed it personally. Yeah, to be fair, it was a good race. I'm not saying it was a bad race, but for Formula E, you're always you're treated to some crazy finishes, and you know to be fair, we even we got a slightly crazy finish with the battle between Gunther and Verne towards the end of the race, which we'll get onto. But yeah, it didn't have those frills and spills, those crashes like in Mexico when Sam Bird yeah. and Stoffel Van Dorn just crashed out, and you're like, oh my god, how did Stoffel Van Dorn and Sam Bird, two extremely experienced drivers, completely lose it? Like you just don't you don't expect it. But we seem that seems to happen in Formula E compared to different motorsports. Obviously, the walls are much closer. But yeah, I thought it was a good race. But I think what we'll do is we'll go straight into it. We'll sort of start with the m- biggest talking point, which you know was a bit of a shock come Friday morning when we heard that Jean-Éric Verne wouldn't be driving the car on the Friday in the practice session, and James Rossiter had to come in. And obviously, Rossiter was there for the rookie test. So, but him coming into the series for that practice session meant he couldn't take part in the rookie test, so that means I had to get Nico Lapierre. I think on a normal weekend, to be honest with you, um, Will, is he probably would have done FP1, but because Rossiter and they had those rookie drivers there, I think they just took those precautions and said, look, just get well, we'll need you tomorrow, we'll just chuck Rossiter in the car. Yeah, I think that it was a bit of good fortune having having the rookie there for the test, as you said, but... Um, now, even even on the Saturday of the race, he he did not look did not look well uh, at all, and um, you know I think that you know as well as he did in the race, he will have been disappointed I think to lose out in qualifying to De Costa. Um, you know he's a new teammate and he's actually putting up a really really good fight against a double champion, and you know with Jev being in 
in, in group two and, and De Costa actually coming from group one, I think that, you know, you would expect Jeff to get the better of him considering the advantage he has. So perhaps that was his, his illness showing a little bit. Yeah, I suppose. I still think it was a, you know, he qualified 11th, Vern, so it wasn't I still a look great good, qualifying. It's still a good job. Yeah, not too bad from Group 2, and obviously with the illness as well, probably taking a couple of attempts out of him. But I still think it was, it was a, you know, but you have to remember, he lost 45 minutes of track time. Like, that is huge. I know he's been around Marrakesh before, and I know the track hasn't really changed much. But it's a new car, different experience, different probably energy readings, different way of managing the energy for this year's car compared to last year's car probably with like improvements. So he only had half an hour track time in the practice two session in the morning. So to go in from half an hour, you know, I think they said that he missed like six. I think it was I think their numbers were a bit odd, like 60 percent track time. I think Jack Nichols and Dario Franchitti said uh, it might be a bit less than that. But um, I still thought with that half-hour session to go into qualifying and at least put himself in a position to race and to yeah. position to move forward, I thought that was a great job. And I guess that's always the tough thing about Formula E qualifying, isn't it? It's just it's one lap. Um, there's, there's very little margin for error. And um, this was something that kind of you heard them talking about a lot, is to, just like the amount of laps and preparation they put in just to you know execute properly when that one lap and the time around comes for that one lap. So obviously losing so yeah. much time compared to everyone else is, is really important and really damaging. But he did well. No, he definitely did well. But then we've got to move on to then the championship leader at the time, Mitch Evans. Because obviously Mitch, out in Group 1, won the race comfortably in Mexico a couple of weeks ago. But Formula E teams have been playing close to the wire. And Evans... They managed to miss the timing of his lap. So he basically, he crossed the line just a tenth, basically, too slow. Uh, as the checkered flag came out, the red lights came out, and he didn't start his qualifying lap. So therefore, I had to start at the back of the grid. And, well, to be honest with you, for the last couple of races now, and even going back into last season, we've seen teams leave it to the last minute possible to get a lap out. And I know you've got six minutes, there's not a lot of time, but obviously the tracks aren't that big, so you should be able to get around and at least do your warm-up lap and your and your 250 uh, lap. But obviously I find it odd that teams now are just leaving it to the last second and then missing out because it's you can't. It's so difficult to overtake a Formula E. Um, I know you, you, you're going from the back, but you're putting yourself in a position of danger straight away. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting one. Firstly, I think that you got to consider the fact that De Costa was only just ahead of him. So obviously he wanted to give himself enough space um, to complete his flying lap without being kind of like stuck directly behind De Costa. And I think you actually saw that when he left the garage, he was, wasn't actually as far behind De Costa as he was when he got to the end of his lap. I think that that probably played a small part in, in him missing, um, missing the cutoff. But also, you know, you always hear teams talk about how important it is in Formula E. It's like, you know, you just need to kind of pick up points when you can and just try and be near the front. You know, you're not going to be able to win every race, but it's always about just like not making mistakes. And then to, to make that kind of mistake and, and be right at the back of the grid, obviously it's a brilliant drive for him to get, get back towards the front. You feel like he's just missed a real opportunity on a weekend where he was clearly very quick. 
yeah, he he was he was on fire. He was on fire in the practice sessions again. The Jaguar card they've seen to whatever they've done from Santiago to Mexico has really made a huge impact yeah. because you know he, he in Santiago yeah he was on pole. You yeah, know, driving in Santiago away. he was just losing time. You know, towards the end of the race he was just he was just kind of a sitting duck in a way, and he was very lucky to stay on the podium, wasn't he? Yeah, because he lost out to Nick DeFries, and yeah. if it wasn't for Nick DeFries' penalty, then he would have not been on the podium. Yeah, so as you say, it's, it's, what they've done is is really impressive, um, and he looks like really formidable. So it just makes the you know that that kind of mistake all the more frustrating because you feel like you know even if he is starting kind of tenth or 11th as kind of Jeff was, you feel like he's going to be right up at the front just because of, of how well he's driving and how well he's kind of tuned up in that car at the moment. Yeah, and as I, as I said at the beginning when we started talking, like it is hard to overtake. Okay, Marrakech proved to be actually quite a decent track for overtaking for Formula E. There was quite a lot of overtakes through the field. But notoriously, you'll go to places a bit like Santiago, like Diria, where you know overtaking isn't as easy. And if you put yourself in that position to miss out, and, you know, we've seen it with DS. DS normally have quite bad qualifiers in, in, in Diria, for example, over the last two seasons. And they haven't been able to work their way through as, as, as quickly as they would like. And, and things have had to fall into place for them to actually get those positions and move forward. Uh, so I, I find it odd. You've got six minutes. It's such a big risk to go out last man. Because obviously Evans went out last man. And... Obviously, as you said, the Costa was a bit ahead, but then obviously the Costa's backed up, which has caused Evans to back up. So you're already by going last out within, you know, a couple of seconds, 20 seconds leeway. You're, you're leaving yourself not a lot of time, not a lot of breathing room. Yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, think... it's the, it's, you're gone. So I was going to say, I think something that shows just how committed Jaguar are is then that, you know, Evans misses the cutoff. He's starting last on the grid. And then they still leave it very much the last minute with Collado as well. So yeah. it's pretty ballsy from the team, but um, they obviously think that it's kind of worth worth the gamble. But you know, it'll be interesting to see if they're willing to leave it so close next time out with with Evans, especially given the fact that you know he could have potentially cost himself a podium there from that mistake. Yeah, and you know, I suppose fortune favors the brave, but at the same time, you look like a clown when it doesn't it doesn't work out for you. So, you know, as it is, you're, you're trying to think of the saying now, but it's like, uh, never mind, it's, it'll, it'll come back to me at some point. But just to, I don't know, just to leave it that late, and Evans is now, he's such, he's, he put himself in Mexico in such a championship, like, winning position. Like, he, he proved that he could be a man to look out for this season. He could be the dark horse. Or maybe the front running course. Or maybe to make a cat joke somewhere, but I can't think of one, so we'll just move on. Um, too many horses, I don't know why. Uh, but anyway, with I just I just think it was such a lot. When, when points are important and when you've got a car that at the moment looks to be one of the quickest on the grid to put yourself in that position was a bit, bit iffy. But let's move on, because the Costa, the man that we were saying that was in front of him, managed to actually get out of Group 1 pretty well and actually make it into Super Bowl. So the Costa, obviously, him leaving it to the last minute, managed to put himself on a great lap to get into to get into Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, I think it was something that either 
Jack Nichols or Dario Franchetti mentioned on commentary, but perhaps the, the effects of the groups wouldn't be as pronounced at this race. Um, I think they said compared to some other street circuits, perhaps it wasn't the, 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 the condition of the yeah, track. Yeah, because it doesn't get... Better. Okay, it'll get some... Because it'll get some sand on it because obviously it's surrounded by a yeah. desert. But, you know, and to be fair, considering track times, like it wasn't... With the day being as it was, with obviously practice being in a bit later at nine o'clock, and then it was only like an hour till qualifying started. So the track was fairly rubbered in. Yeah. Uh, so it, and yeah, you saw it wasn't that. as and then, it wasn't as big. Yeah, you saw in Evans' interview as well after after missing out that you know he said he he did a seventeen four, which obviously would have got him to Super Bowl. So, you know, I think that that would have been what him and and Acosta um, both into. Both in Super Bowl from Group One, so I definitely think the the um, you know the effect perhaps is less pronounced than it has been in other circuits. But um, yeah, it's really Nigeria, really Nigeria, for example. Yeah, really really impressive from from De Costa. Um, I've been, you know, I actually was kind of I didn't know how well I thought he would do following the move to, to Cheetah because um, you look, you know looked at how kind of Jeff outperformed Lotter last season, but he he's really really done very well since arriving there and um it's actually really really good sport i think to have you know two top drivers in a top team who kind of compete against one another because they're battling they really are battling at the moment and it's it's great to see because the costa has always from season one shown glimpses that he he's a real deal and and even when he was in his junior career he showed more than enough glimpses to show that he was a real deal but when he came to Formula E he was quick but then he'd had you know an odd race where he wasn't that quick and then he had odd seasons like uh, season 3 when he was at Andretti and he was partnered with Robin Frines like Robin Frines beat him over the course of the season so like he has had like a season or two where he's he's been quiet but then he'll have spells where races are just amazing but this season I think he knows I think BMW he was obviously quick last season and he knew he had a car that could Challenge for the championship, but for one reason or not, BMW sort of faded away. Tech Cheetah have been the team to beat now yeah. for the past two seasons. And, you know, it could even be one of the, still the team to beat this season because the car, especially from the performance in the race, which we'll get onto, was mind-blowing. And and that's been pretty consistent f- so far this season. If it wasn't for the bad qualifyings that the Costa may have had and Werner's had this season, Tech Cheetah could be flying in this championship. They could be you know, walking and, and staying that they're still the big dogs. I mean, on race pace, they look they look incredible. And it seems like no matter where those two start on the grid, they're always, I feel like it's like three races now when it's ended up with those two next to one another and some sort of, some sort of kind of battle directly between the two teammates. So that, that's, that's really fantastic to see. But as you say, um, you know, BMW look to have some, ironically, you know, the team that must have left, Look to have some serious qualifying pace, you know. Gunter and it seems that one of Gunter and Sims are always kind of up there in Super Bowl um, from the BMW team, but they perhaps don't quite have the same race pace. Whereas that that to Cheetah, obviously, you're saying this after De Costa's just going to put it on pole, but um, it, its race pace looks really formidable. Yeah, and the thing is, he left BMW not because it was slow. Like De Costa know or knew that um, that BMW were going to be strong this season. He knew they were going to be a threat. 
and he knew that the day had the potential to win races. He knew that. He was going to tech Cheetah simply because he knew that they could they are the best team. They're the team that BMW are trying to beat, so why just join the best team and go and win a championship? Because I know it's really early to say, and I know there's so many people that would, you know, shoot me down for saying that, but he, he could be... He'd, him and Evans, I think, at the moment, are the two standout drivers that could be fighting for this season's championship. I think Werner's obviously you've got to put him in there. But in terms of a battle that we might see from two different teams, it's looking like a De Costa-Evans battle if they can just get qualifying right. Yeah, I think that it's difficult because obviously... On the one hand, you've got got um, inter-team battle, you know, kind of taking points off one another between um, Burn and Da Costa. But then also you've got Evans, who doesn't seem to have apps, who doesn't seem to have any support from his teammate. Um, you know, that means that Tachito are going to have the advantage of potentially using team orders and and kind of working together in order to beat out Evans. Whereas Evans just doesn't have that same kind of teammate support with. Um, with Collado, because he's just like, you know, sadly, he's just like pretty far off the pace. Yeah, I think that's obviously, we, we've discussed this before, with obviously Collado being a rookie driver coming in, and, and we've said it, that, uh, you know, when will teams feel like, you know, if the driver, you know, look at Verline, look at people like Nick DeFries who have come into the series and, and hit the ground running and straight at the front, and, you know, can you afford to have a driver and give him a season to sort of bed himself in? Like Calado, like they like they normally do, as I as I alluded to in the last podcast. So, I think though Jaguar's advantage is that they will throw all their resources at Evans. They will make they will, you know, they will try and give Evans every sort of bit of advantage, every sort of sort of software update that they can bring to the car, try and make it faster. You know, they'll give it straight to Evans because, you know, they to test out first and see if it works. Because if it's quicker, then he'll go quicker. So there could be a small, slight advantage for that. But obviously on track, um, you've got, you know, the two tech cheaters can work their way past them. But as we saw in Mexico, they can they can <laughs> hinder each other. So, you, 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 you know, team orders, especially when you've got two drivers fighting for a championship, it doesn't always go to plan. No, absolutely not. And I feel like if Collado was, you know, maybe not a title contender, but more kind of like battling around for the bottom end of the points, then maybe that would be a more of an advantage for, for Evans. I just get the feeling that, I, you know, Collado speaking on TV afterwards, he said, you know, qualifying's been my issue, but, you know, he, he did all right, didn't he? He came, I think he qualified in about 12th. Um, yeah. And then and then he said, but race pace has been where I've been strong and therefore he looked quite confident. And then just to watch him almost just, go nowhere and then Evans just by being at the back just to go straight past him I think it just showed the real discrepancy in, in level between the two at the moment and um, yeah, yeah it's you'd like to, you'd, I think Jaguar would really like to see Colado up his level just to just to help out Evans yeah I think you know Colado had a good start to the race he, he managed <clears> to pull off some good moves he managed, I think he got himself up to P8 but then that was sort of the highest it sort of went yeah. and it sort of went backwards as as the as the leading, well, the likes of Evans and Degrassi then started to come to to find their way through, as they did. So, sort of just to round up quality then, because the Costa, as we've as we've alluded to, he was quick in, in Group One, got himself in the Super Pole, and put it on pole. 
Like, so, and even though he was the last runner of Super Bowl, well, the first runner to go out, so everyone else had technically a cleaner track before him, he was still able to put it on pole. Max Gunther in the BMW was second for BMW, well, for BMW, obviously. And then Andre Lodera, I think this man has to have a shout-out, because Porsche, we don't really know how quick Porsche is, but I think Porsche is quick, because obviously Neil Yarny is really struggling, but Andre Lodera, time and time again, um... You know, it's just getting that Porsche up there. Sadly, that Porsche doesn't have the race pace. Yeah. But it seems like that has a good quality car as well. Yeah. I think Johnny is a, a similar situation to Collado or kind of Felipe Massa as well in that, you know, it's, it makes it just difficult to judge kind of the outright quality of that of that Porsche because he's, he's so far off. But no, Lotterer has been super impressive um, since he's moved over. And yeah, that looks definitely to be to be a kind of quick car in, in qualifying. I, I think another interesting one is is De Vries making it to Super Bowl despite having a little tap on the side of the wall. Yeah. Um which was quite impressive. Um I know De Vries is I think he's someone we're gonna talk about later on, but been I've been impressed with him actually. Um he, he definitely doesn't have the kind of craft and, and knowledge of Formula E that someone like Van Dorn does. But he looks he looks yeah. quick and he looks he looks a really good addition to, to the series. And he's he's bedded in like he just he's bedded in, and we've talked about those drivers who, like your Collados, your Neil Yarnies, who, Brendan Hartleys, who have come into the series, and it hasn't just clicked straight away. And for Nick DeFries, obviously F two champion, but as I said, those you know Neil Yarny, James Collado, Brendan Hartley ain't no slouch. Yeah, like you've got two, you've got some former Formula One, you've got world endurance champion there. It's like uh, you know there's there's some. There's a, there's a good list there. So the freezer's really bed, uh, bedded in well, and he qualified fourth. Eduardo Mortara doing great again for Venturi in fifth, and Sebastian Buemi for Nissan in sixth. I think for Nissan, just a brief touch before on them before they uh, we go into the race and talk about that. Buemi, to be fair, I think he's doing a good job. I think that Nissan is quick, but it's 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 just a couple of seconds off the pace, really. Oh, I say a couple of seconds, a couple of temps off the pace. But you can really see it in the race trim more than quality because he seems to be able to get the car up there now, now that he's in a decent qualifying group. Yeah, I think and, we're... But it just, he just doesn't go anywhere in the race. Yeah, we're used to, I guess, um, Nissan being up there with Cheetah, with, with BMW, with Jaguar, with, I guess, Audi. But it looks like Audi and, and Nissan are just a, a step behind... The, the top teams this season. Um, and as you mentioned, yeah, Buemi, he did well to kind of hold on, but you could kind of see those quicker drivers behind him just um, kind of coming through in, in, um, in Evans. And he looked like he was really struggling to kind of hold on to Mortara, who's, who's been really impressive as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's a shame because I guess we, yeah, Buemi's obviously got a podium and a fourth this season. So, yeah, these are by no means bad results. And Roland's been super consistent, kind of always putting it in there in the points. But yeah, you're right in the sense that he just doesn't quite seem to to have the that that race trim over kind of the whole race. He doesn't seem to quite have the speed. Because Nissan were known last season for being quick qualifiers. Yeah, they really were known quick. for it. They just didn't. They didn't have the race pace. So I don't know what's happened this season because they've seemed to lose or have lost that qualifying pace to be up there. And they've also the race pace from last season doesn't seem to have improved at all. 
So I think it's a bit of head scratching in this end. I think they've got some. They've got two. One thing they have got in their favour is they've got two very good drivers who seem to be able to bring the most out of the car. Um, you know, they by no means have had one of the better cars this year, but they've still kind of managed to to pull out consistent results, and that's a lot more than can be said of some of the other teams. Um, so that that that's something to their credit, and hopefully, you know, if they can get better as the season goes along provided you know we get a get a season I think that the, those two drivers will, will be <laughs> up a bit again I like that but before um, before we just move on because you brought up Audi as well in that sort of battle with Nissan and obviously the grassy has been doing or you know he's, he's been doing the grassy things yeah but, he's just into grassy what I mean by yeah but what I mean by doing the grassy things is that he's doing great comeback drives because yeah. the Audi just not is there. nowhere and you can see that with how much Daniel Apt is struggling. Now, this isn't rookie. This is, you know, a very seasoned Formula E driver, a race winner. And yet he, he, he's nowhere. So it just, for one, it shows... And even the Degrassi point. in qualifying is nowhere. Yeah, Degrassi is... It, but it just, it just shows the experience and the quality of Degrassi that he can... You know, it doesn't matter where he starts. It doesn't matter kind of where his car is. He can, he can always get that back and be there or thereabouts. Um they're clearly struggling for speed. Um, again, yeah, there's a team that with two experienced drivers and you know a champion in, in Degrassi, but they just need to uh, they need to kind of work out what's going on because they are getting left behind by you know BMW, Cheetah, Jaguar, and uh, Envision Virgin, I guess. Although they struggled as well. Yeah, as we I know you have to. Rem- yeah, they did struggle, but I would say Envision Virgin are, are quicker than Audi, and they've got the Audi powertrain. Yeah. So, so I think the rookie test, and I know it's the only in-season test that we have this season for Formula E, but Audi were probably one of those teams that needed to learn something the most out of all 12 teams on the grid. Yeah. But it's, moving it's into the race then. It's always the test, isn't it? But uh, those yeah, times from true. Cassidy were really impressive. Um, so, yeah, it's, as I said, and plus times are always difficult from testing because it's a testing program. You yeah, never you really know what they're being asked know to do. What yeah, exactly. So you you can't read too much into it. Obviously, they were running at some two fifty kilowatt laps to produce those lap times, but uh, you know, but it's still like, how many did you do? When did you do it? When was the track a bit more rubbered in when you did it? So you can't really read too much into it. But it was it it was still I think it was it was a productive test, but I, for all the teams. But I felt really that Audi needed to get something out of that test in order to move forward um, and sort of revitalized their season yeah. so they're moving into the race um it was to be fair quite a clean start and the costa he made a great start and gunther came out flying as well and those two at the early stages of the race they seemed to just completely you know they they had a good couple of seconds gap yeah um really really impressive from, from costa from the outset and i know he kind of got drawn back in by Gunther and obviously kind of it's difficult to say because what was weird is that he he obviously let him past but also he kind of very deliberately stopped him from passing just before that so I'm not quite sure what the thought, thought process was there but uh, yeah those two looked quick all, all race and uh, that Tachita as we mentioned has, has excellent um, race pace Um so yeah, no, they—they they, it was an excellent start, and uh, and I thought that um, 
I thought that uh, I guess Da Costa's kind of had a few kind of kind of being like bashed around a bit in the midfield. He's had a couple of uh, couple of incidents um, lo- looking to overtake. So I think he looked really keen to just like get out in front and and kind of like, dictate the race on his own terms today yesterday. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I suppose, as I put it, it was a game of chess. Um, I think it was the best way to describe the race because energy management in Marrakesh, I remember talking to Robin Franz and quite a few drivers last season and you know, they were talking about races that were tough on energy and, and Monaco, they said, even though the track being so short was actually a race where it was actually quite tough on energy. But when I was to speak, they said, oh, it was nowhere near as tough as Marrakesh. And you could you could tell how tough Marrakesh's energy management was during the race because obviously there was a lot of lifting coasting which then provided that amount of overtakes um, that we saw in the race but you know you saw that the energy levels then the battery levels were dropping quite significantly and and I suppose when in towards the middle of the race that chess move that the Costa made of I'm just gonna let him pass and you know they talked about it and then you know lift off earlier but then use that slipstream to to keep going at a decent speed but then obviously the more you coast the more you can regen and that saved his he saved his saved his energy but then allowed him to then later on use the attack mode to his second attack mode to then undercut Gunther past him and then he knew he had the energy to sort of maintain his pace for the remainder of the race so Game of cat and mouse, game of chess, whatever you prefer. But I definitely think Marrakesh has turned into one of those races. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a really kind of clever, but also you know courageous move from uh, from De Costa to do that because you know we've seen that you know when Gunther gets out ahead, he he can really yeah he he's a he's already won a race in a very short kind of period in Formula E and obviously that was at the expense of De Costa so I think it was it was brave of him but he, he obviously made the right decision it allowed him to to preserve energy and he saw the way that obviously you know although Gunther obviously timed it quite well in the end he ended up falling behind Vern so obviously just just doing that really paid dividends for for De Costa, and uh, you know, he ended up winning quite comfortably, even though at the time it was it was kind of like, oh, you know, was is this the right move? Is this a bit of a risk? Um, but yeah, it really came up trumped, and it'd be interesting to see how, perhaps in other kind of high energy consumption races, drivers potentially look at that as a strategy. Yeah, because I I think what he did De Costa, which was quite clever, because Vern at the time. I know we're jumping, we're jumping in, but Van was behind him further, who had done a great race, and we'll talk about that race in a moment. But he wasn't far behind. But then when when um, De Costa went uh, to pass Gunther, sorry, you know, Van was basically behind Gunther, and then they started battling, which just allowed De Costa to completely manage his own race. He probably wasn't driving that fast, but because those two were battling behind him, it just allowed him to go off. And just control and dominate his own race because, you know, the the, the others were, were squabbling behind him. So, uh, and that allowed him to eventually go on to win the race, as, as, as everyone knows. But one person, and before we go back and circle back towards the end of the race, I want to talk about Nick De Vries because obviously you mentioned that we were going to talk about him a bit earlier because he was having a great race. Obviously, qualified fourth was running in, I think it was third, fourth at the time. And again, a technical infraction. 
uh, with too much regen. So basically what the car had done was the power uses that he was using at 200 kilowatts. He he used more regen than, than he was supposed to, basically. Not his fault. He's just pressing on a paddle. It's just, it's just a system error. Now, for Nick DeFries, we mentioned it a bit earlier where, you know, he also had a power spike in Santiago. Another technical thing that Nick DeFries could not manage or, you know, could do nothing about to avoid. And that cost him a podium in Santiago because that got him a five-second time penalty. This infringement cost him a drive-through. It completely destroyed his race. Came out basically 23rd, I think only just ahead of Mar maybe at the time. And it ruined his race. And again, the freeze, to be fair to him, has been super consistent this season. And has had a, a fantastic, you know, start to his rookie career in Formula E. And I suppose some could say that was expected, him being an F2 champion. But at the same time, we've seen how hard it is for drivers to adapt into Formula E. So I just I just feel for the lad because I feel like, you know, he could be... He, again, I don't think that Mercedes is the quickest car, but consistency is so key in Formula E. And I've said it time and time again that consistency could win you the championship, not, being, not having the fastest car and not winning all the races. Yeah, I guess that's kind of what Van Dorn was looking to do early on, but then he obviously had... He was just nowhere on Saturday... And obviously had that incident um, in Mexico, but otherwise, yeah, he, he, you know, just by kind of racking up those point scoring finishes every week, you can actually get yourself pretty high up. But unfortunately for De Vries, you know, these things that are kind of coming through no fault of his own really are just are just uh, scuppering him a little bit. Um, obviously, what happened in Mexico was his fault, but otherwise, as you say, he's he's looked really strong, and uh, it's a shame to see these these kind of technical issues um kind of and he's falling foul of those um because it's a shame because i i think that he he looks like someone who could be really good and and exciting to watch in those kind of battles at the sharp end of the of the course yeah and i don't think mexico is too much of his fault because it was a software glitch failure that he had which caused the car not to stop so even then he's you know he's finally okay wasn't as quick in mexico um but you know he was still six you know fifth six like he was he was running at a decent yeah. position and to completely just all wheels lock up and just go straight into the wall and not slow down very similar to apps i don't think it was ever confirmed that it was a fan boost issue that it was exactly the same as um daniel apps issue that he had in practice but it was very similar like it wasn't he didn't just lock up the car just completely died on him in a sense in terms of software in terms of software glitch but it's again just another thing a bit out of his control yeah that that's cost him do you, do you, i guess the the thing is like you know obviously mercedes has kind of been almost like kind of shadowing hwa last season and it's kind of taken a lot from that team so they're not kind of entirely new do you think these are just kind yeah, of these true. kind of growing pains of a new team yeah. coming into the sport I- well, to be fair, it's their first proper... T- I suppose, you know, they didn't... There was a Venturi powertrain, so this is, at the same time, it's still their yeah. first powertrain that they've built. Obviously, they've learned a lot. It's amazing that, you know, to think that Venturi was their powertrain and then now Venturi using a Mercedes powertrain. But obviously, it makes sense. And for Venturi, it's been fantastic um, uh, because their pace has dramatically improved. So Mercedes can tell straight away. And I think that's 
quite worrying for other teams is how quick Mercedes have built a solid powertrain in you know a, se- a season with lear- learning from Venturi, I suppose, and then for doing what they've done. And obviously, I know they've been a dominant uh, era in terms of in Formula One, and I'm not saying that they're going to become the next dominant thing in in Formula E, but they've started well. And they've 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 built a package that's quite you know it's got some gremlins, but over time I know there's a season they'll they'll sort those gremlins out as you know like Jaguar did, and and they'll become stronger and you know I, I don't think it'll be too long until we see Mercedes battling at the front maybe next season, um, but I think they've built themselves a real solid foundation and if it wasn't for these issues that Van Dorn and De Vries are having, they'd be right up there in terms of the team's championship. And in terms of the drivers' championship, oh yeah, I mean absolutely. If Van Dorn was was leading the championship, you know, going into Mexico, so you know, obviously the bulk of those points came at Diria, where they were clearly very strong, and they haven't kind of been that strong since. Um, but you know, for for, for for De Vries and Van Dorn to be kind of regular, regular making a regular appearances in in Super Bowl, and for them to kind of be challenging up the front, you know. It's all it takes is, as you say, for them to kind of like iron out some of those issues that are having with, with their, uh, with the powertrain, and and make sure that that's kind of not such an issue on such a regular basis. And you know, you wouldn't be surprised to see them now have a few more podiums and even a win this season. Yeah, I, it's definitely doable. Formula is so crazy that you can't rule out a Mercedes victory. You can't probably. I was going to say the same for Porsche, but I think it's. It, I think Porsche are Given a little their, bit further behind. Yeah. Lotterer, Lotterer is doing great in terms of qualifying, but I think Mexico proved sadly that it's just the race pace isn't there, and even a little bit in 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 Marrakesh that the race pace wasn't there, which is a bit of a shame. So I think Mercedes are a bit ahead of Porsche. Yeah, although it, it does help to have have the kind of I guess the. The two drivers up there at the front. So if one's not having a great day, the other one can kind of like take on the take on the mantle, take on the role for the points which Porsche don't have. And also, I guess like you know how much good kind of feedback can they be getting from Johnny because he's just not competing, you know, in the same league as as Lotterer. Yeah, which is a sh- which is a shame. Um, but one person which we alluded to earlier in the race, we have to talk about now. Is is Jean Eric Verne because obviously we said that he qualified in eleventh, and then all of a sudden he was in that third position when we were talking about the battle with Gunther and and, and the Costa. What a race! Like he came through. You wouldn't have thought he was ill. You wouldn't have thought that he was as ill as he looked. He just came through the field, managed his race perfectly, pulled off some stunning overtakes, and. And you know, legitimately got himself up to third. Used the attack mode to undercut the likes of Lotter and Mortara to get himself up into fourth, and then, you know, uh, to get him up into third. Sorry, passing Lotter for third. So, just a fantastic performance. Yeah, he's he is just um, a real high quality operator in Formula E. Um, you know, as we as we mentioned, you know, not very well, and you even saw him coming on the podium. At, yeah, not not wanting to run. He he really did not look hundred percent. But it was it was brilliant race. You know, he really feels like he's mastered kind of the strategy, and he is one of those people who you know you look at even kind of um, interior coming from you know a drive through penalty and starting at the back to get points. You know, you look at, at New York last season when he he kind of had a crash and he's still coming through for points. 
he's just someone you can never rule out in in any one race. Um, I can't remember who it was on, but he pulled up an absolutely beautiful um, overtake down the inside um, on Saturday, which was just showed all his his kind of race craft, but also his kind of managed aggression and the way he defends as well was excellent. Um, I thought it was very impressive from Gunter to have the patience to sit behind him, trust his team that you know Vern will run out of energy if you just wait and you and you kind of make sure that you save and 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 keep behind him and don't do anything silly. And I thought that was really impressive. But nonetheless, it was a brilliant race from Vern. And you know coming from eleventh to third, even though he could have had a second, had he managed his energy slightly better, it, it, it kind of no slight on him. It was, it was a fantastic performance. Yeah, and, uh, you know, talking about the energy management, obviously coming through the field and pulling off those overtakes, he uses energy. Like, overtaking uses energy. Like, you you have to break a bit later. You have to maybe not, you know, lift off as earlier. So that's still using energy. That's what surprised me so much about Evans, is that you look at Evans and he pulled off so many overtakes, but he still seemed to have more energy than everyone else at the end. Like, I don't know how he was doing it. Yeah, it was just... You know, it was just it, it's such a tough race on energy, Marrakesh. Like, you you really saw it, and the drivers will tell you um, just how tough it is. And to, to do what he did, and obviously for Vern, it sort of just was maybe, I don't know if it was one too many or one fight too many, because I suppose the fight with Gunther, you know, it lasted a long time. Whereas maybe when we talk about Evans in a minute, like maybe his battles didn't take as long for whatever reason. And he was going up against weaker but, cars as well. Yeah, that was him going up against yeah, a really informed Gunther in one of the better cars on, on the circuit. And you know, you, you saw Sims as well. He didn't qualify well. He until he had his issue, he came through the field. So that BMW was clearly strong on race pace. So yeah, I think that you know, considering where Gunther started and considering and then you consider where Jeff started, you know, for him to hold him off really right up until the end was was a really impressive job, considering that he had to come through the field. Yeah. Yeah, only when he'd right, almost fully run out of energy could uh, could he actually finish the overtake. And I suppose for Vern, it had to be done, even though he was ill. He couldn't, with the way the Costa has been so far this season, you need to get as many points, or not lose as many points as possible to him. Because when you gain points against the Costa, it might not be a large gain. It might be the seven points, it might be two points, it might be three points, depending on where they finish. And when Jeff had such a bad and, uh, start of the season as well, you know, he can't afford yeah, exactly. to he can't afford to miss a race. Um and in a way it's weird because obviously De Costa won, but this was actually kind of the race where you know Jeff kind of showed us all again just how good he is and why he's a, a two time champion. Exactly. So you you're looking at the race and thought, Wow, Jeff can do that ill and not in <laughs> any sort of normal state in a sense. I know they say adrenaline takes over, but at the same time, you know, if he was well, what could he have done? And yeah, it's just amazing. I, I think it's a really good comeback drive from Vern. I think if, if you told him Friday night you're going to finish third, I think he would have taken your left hand. Oh yeah, absolutely. Said, you know, you know, uh, so... Um, I think it was brilliant, but I suppose the man that we've got to talk now, as you mentioned, Mitch Evans, horrible qualifying, 24th, you've got it all to do, championship leader, go out there and do something, and boy, did he, he came 
from 24th, not just to finish in a mere 10th or 9th place pickup, a point or two. He came back and finished in 6th, taking 8 championship points. Now that, we talk about drivers of the day, and you could have had many in this E-Pre. You could have had De Costa, Vern, but Evans, that, how do you not give him driver of the day? It was the annoying thing. The only reason that I would say this is because obviously, you know, us watching the Formula E feed is we didn't actually get to see that much of him on when you're watching the That's race true. first time, which is super annoying. But, you know, he pulled off, I think, like, I know there are a couple of, of kind of attack mode strategy moves, but like there was like a good kind of 10, 12 overtakes in there. You know, he wasn't just, um, yeah, he w- he wasn't just kind of doing it all by strategy. He was just taking people over, and you know, you saw in his interview after qualifying, he just said, you know, I'm furious basically. And then you see straight from straight from the beginning of the race, you watch him um, just kind of take I think two or three cars from pretty much the from the start, and he just looked kind of like he meant business the whole time. Um, he's in such a good place in that car, and he looks so hooked up. Um, you know, he was completely, completely dominant um, last time out, and you know, it's, it's, it's lucky for his rivals that he was starting at the back because you know, he could have been a real challenger for a win had he not been. But uh, it shows how much he's improving and how how good he's becoming. That you know, you, you stick him at the back of the grid, and he's still coming for the high point paying finishes. So. Yeah, it's it's super impressive, and to be honest, I just want a situation when we can see kind of. He looks like he's kind of on that level with, this DaCosta and, and Jeff at the moment. He looks like he's kind of that level of elite, um. By his current form, and I just really want to see a battle between, between the two the cheaters and and him because, and maybe you know Gunter or Sims as well because. Yeah, he he's really showing some impressive form. Yeah, he he is at one with that car. It's like, yeah, he's driving it as he start as you stole it, something like that, like as if you stole it because he he's on rails at the <laughs> moment with that car. It, it it it's a joy to watch, and you know, I've I've Evans has always been that quick driver, and it's sort of he sort of reminded you of that Daniel Ricciardo type figure. Not in the sort of paddock way, you know. He's always that smiling. He's that bubbly. He is quite a bubbly guy, and he's he's a, a nice guy to talk to. But he, with Daniel Ricciardo's Formula One career, Mitch Evans sort of had a very similar Formula E career in terms of it was close, but no cigar sometimes. Obviously, obviously, Daniel Ricciardo managed to get it working in in Formula One, and he got some race wins with Red Bull. But there was obviously so many times for Daniel Ricciardo where the luck wasn't in it, or he just got third, or he just got pipped by someone else, yeah. or it just didn't work out for something. And Mitch Evans has sort of had that over the last couple of seasons. And now you've got to say that it's his moment. Yeah, obviously last season, you know, I thought that he was one of the outstanding drivers aside from Jeff. Um, and obviously he's actually kind of, I guess lost his spot on the season podium thanks to that incident kind of in the final race in New York. But um, yeah, yeah, he had a great comeback drive in the first race there as well to kind of even give himself a chance. But um, yeah, he he as you say he he looks like you know perhaps he was the nearly man, but this year is kind of when he finally takes matters into his own hands and 
you know, he's obviously got the equipment below him now that he feels absolutely confident in. And yeah, I just, I just want to see him kind of taking it to those two to cheaters because it's just going to be, going to be a fantastic battle. I agree. So the top five then for the race, so it was De Costa who who won the race, Gunther in second, Vern third, Boemi fourth, and Eduardo Mortara proving that that Mercedes powertrain is pretty good in fifth eventually. So. What I want to talk to you about very quickly before we go, well, we've got a bit of time left actually, is um, who is the, the main people that we think could win races this season? Because we've talked about DaCosta, Vern and Evans as our three main winners and you've got Gunther there as well. And I think now that we're coming to the point of the season where our, our leading bunch, the people that we expect to win, are, are starting to show. I was just thinking, are you expecting... I know it's a random thing to say in terms of... Because Formula 3 can be so crazy. And you're like, Jack, how on earth are you saying that there's only like three or four people that can win races in Formula 3? Because anyone can win a race. True, I know that. But we've got to look at paper at the same time and think, well, statistically, at the moment... Sadly, I know Sims won, but I can't see... Sims' form for me needs to improve... I, for me, at this precise moment, the only people I see winning races for the rest of the season are between DeCosta, Vern, Evans, and possibly Gunther. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I agree with Sims. He seems to be, he seems to kind of be like one session on, one session off. Sometimes he qualifies really well, you know, like he had it hooked up in Deria, but then he kind of came, came eighth in the race, in the first race at least. And then you know. In, in Mexico, he didn't qualify very well, but then he comes through to about fifth. Obviously, that is kind of slightly assisted by the fact that literally everyone else crashed. But, um, you know, he, he he doesn't seem to be able to kind of put a weekend together since Diria. And I think part of that would be obviously, you know, he ended last season as you know, perhaps just hanging on to a seat. And then DaCosta leaves the team and he thinks perhaps this is my chance. And then he comes in and obviously gets the two first poles. But now Gunter looks like he perhaps is, and I, I fully expected Gunter to be this good. He was really impressive last season. And I'm, I'm glad to see him in a top team because he's definitely a quality driver. But, um, I think that, yeah, Sims is not, he's not quite as good as Gunther. And I think that if there is going to be a BMW driver challenging for wins, it's probably going to be him. I think the other person, obviously, is that you can never rule out Sam Bird because he's just, he knows how to win races in Formula E. Um, he's shown that over six seasons now. Um, but he, yeah, as you say... I'd have to agree. I'd have to agree. I forgot about Sam Bird. Well, I, yeah, I'd say I forgot about Sam Bird. But as we, we but probably I know, the, 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 virgin... the Vision version racing car just doesn't doesn't quite look like it's up there with those those other three teams that we've mentioned. It's definitely quick. It's definitely a quick car. And to be honest with you, it could have won a race this season already. Um, f- f- but at the same time, it's just... I've, whatever reason, they just haven't hooked up a weekend. They need to hook up a weekend version because they are quick. They're a team that I'd expect to be fighting for podiums um, when they get it right. For example, Mexico. You know, Bird should have finished on the podium. Crashed out. Frines should have finished top five. Easy. You know, but was taken out with the defreeze incident. Yeah, Frines. You know, Mexico... Right, France is a weird one because I, I really kind of 
last season really rated him, but he doesn't seem to quite quite be able to match Bird. Uh, quite be able to match Bird at the moment. Um, yeah, Frines is quick. Like he's a quick driver, and I think it's hard to, as I said, it's really hard for us to like judge drivers. But from what we can see, it's like a consistency thing. Yeah, with Frines. he's definitely one some of the, the better drivers, considering you know looking at how some of the other others have struggled. He's definitely one of the one of the better ones and he's just one of those yeah. people who seems to be always involved in these super weird incidents you know getting taken out by DeVries when he's with a fan boost error uh, last season in, yeah, in spinning Bern, in Santiago last season in Bern when he kind of got stuck at the end of that enormous pile up you know he's yeah. definitely a quick driver but as you said I don't think he's not got the same kind of race craft as Bird and there's a reason that Bird's kind of won every season that he's been in Formula E and France yeah. is just not quite there. If I had to say an outsider, I think Mortara is probably the only other one. You know, that Venturi's look yep. quick every week. And obviously, if it's going to be one of them, it's going to be Mortara rather than rather than Massa. Rather than Massa. Um, because yeah, he's, he's looked really consistent. I can't see, sadly. He's, he's someone who maybe could luck into a win, you know, just be there or thereabout and kind of yeah. pinch one. But yeah, yeah. Like the Hong Kong race he won. Yeah, yeah, just to, just to be... fell into his hands after the Lotterer and Bird incident. Yeah, he's he's always, you know, he's what he's had kind of like a, a fourth and a fifth. So you feel like maybe if if there's a one weekend where some of the top teams don't quite hook it up and there's a, an incident, he could be the one to, to be the beneficiary. But um, Yeah, I'd agree. But otherwise, yeah. I think, weirdly um, enough, for a season where we've had five individual winners and what you said, nine in a row... Um, I think there are. I think it's going to come only, to an end soon. <laughs> yeah, I think there are only kind of four, maybe five with Sandberg drivers that can win. I'm just trying to think. Vern hasn't won yet, has he? He hasn't won this season, no. He hasn't won this season, so he might win. But I guess he, maybe, he won. Maybe he's due a win. <laughs> he won. So he might make it six from six, ten from ten. No, because he won towards the end of last season. Yeah. It would be six from six. He but hasn't not, won this season. Yeah. So, yeah, as I said, if he was to win in Rome, for example, or wherever the next race is, which I suppose brings us on nicely to the next topic that I suppose the whole world is talking about at the moment. And it is that, well, that dreaded word coronavirus is probably a bit like tyres at the moment when you talk about motorsport. (laughs) Um, But it's, it's, it's obviously it's a massively serious issue and obviously it's affecting tons of people. And obviously Italy at the moment, is obviously really badly affected by it. Number of cases, number of deaths are going up, I think. At the time of recording this, it's uh, 52 deaths that have been recorded by Italy due to coronavirus. Obviously, we're due to go into Rome now. We are a month away from race day in Rome. Uh, so it's it's not a long Formula Maria have got to make a decision whether or not we go we race in Rome. Um, I think, you know, flights are starting to be cancelled going into Italy. So... It's shaky times now for Formula E because it's not just Rome either because obviously South Korea as well. We're going to Seoul in in May and you know, there's an, cases are increasing there. You go to Jakarta, they had in Indonesia, they had the floods and they were calling for the race to be postponed for the floods because, you know, parts of Jakarta were underwater and now cases for coronavirus are going up there as well. So Formula E are in a pickle here because potentially the next three rounds of the championship could all get postponed. 
yeah, it's it's obviously, you know, we could end up in a situation where we only have Paris, Berlin, New York, and London left, and you know, for fans of Formula E, that would obviously be a, a huge shame. Obviously, if it is an issue of of spreading the disease, and if it's putting the spectators, teams, the drivers, media, anyone in danger or is putting just people in that country in danger by spreading the disease further, obviously you have to put their safety as the number one priority. Um, it's just, a, I guess, a, it's a real shame on, on pretty much every level because this has been a... As much as it's kind of, you know, you watch Formula E is like renowned for its entertainment, but just watching every race so far this season, it's just really, really good quality racing and really, really fun to watch and it'd just be a real shame to not have have more of that um you know, we've got a really tight championship battle we've got some really fantastic circuits and fantastic locations to go to and uh, yeah it'd be a, a, a real shame to, to miss more of it um but uh unfortunately if it is a, a matter of safety there's only one decision you can really make no, and then it's true. It you know it's just this. We're very much in a wait and see process in terms of, you know, waiting on Formula E's word, waiting on 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 daily news content of seeing how the you know how the disease is um is spreading. So, fingers crossed for everyone. I think fingers crossed for everyone that the coronavirus it sort of now begins to halt a little bit and numbers start of like increased cases start to drop. And I think that would be great news for everyone because that means we're getting on top of it, which will be fantastic. But yeah, it, it leaves Formula in a sticky situation because obviously if it was, it's going to be a, a big gap between races. But I suppose when you're talking about everyone's health and safety, it's probably not the biggest end of the world because, you know, there will always be more Formula E races. Um, and, you you know, people sadly only have one life. Yeah, but it, I suppose it's not the only motorsport either. You know, you've got MotoGP and Formula One are in a similar situation exactly. already cancelling races. You know, Serie A. Yeah. In Italy for Six the football Nations. being cancelled, you got the you got the Olympics coming up in Japan. Like that's a huge, huge sporting event. The Olympics, you know. Yeah, I've just if if that was to get cancelled, that's like that's a massive blow for Tokyo uh, for Japan because you know millions are spent. You know organizing an event like the olympics and then to lose it through something like this obviously it's 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 horrible on that sense because obviously the country's put so much money and so much resources into it and 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 all of that's gone yeah i it's uh gonna take a huge toll on on the sporting calendar you know motorsport and, and otherwise but uh yeah as i say it's just uh you know for for, for you you're kind of talking off mic beforehand you know, thinking about the logistics of getting to Rome, and we don't even know if it's going to be on. Um, so it's a it's a real tricky situation. But hopefully, you say we we kind of see the number of cases going down, and uh, you know, don't see too much disruption. But at the moment, yeah, it looks like we could be losing kind of a large chunk of what would otherwise have been a fantastic Formula E season. Yeah, and obviously, just you know, it's Formula E have obviously done really well. The sole event in terms of going through the stadium, getting Jakarta done was a last minute deal, and you know, it's sort of every everyone was looking forward to to these events, and obviously for them to to be cancelled is a bit of a shame. But I suppose 
they will be on the calendar next season if they are postponed or cancelled in any way. But Will, I think I've really enjoyed this podcast. I think you know, I think Tobias will be proud while he's studying at the moment for his dissertation. I think he'll be like, "Yeah, boys, you did a, you did imp- we did him proud." <laughs> well, uh, unfortunately, I never experienced that kind of feeling of uh, having to study a dissertation because I actually didn't do one. But I, I feel sorry for him, and I was happy to uh, yeah. happy to step in. Now, brilliant! Right, thank you so much for listening at home. Um, please remember to like the podcast on YouTube or any of the podcast apps that you're listening to and subscribe. It helps us out massively. Thank you so much for for listening and we will see you very soon. Mm-hmm.